Hey, Nothing is Wasted family, it's official. We have just launched our Nothing is Wasted community groups platform, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. What if you could find true, authentic community in the midst of your valley? Imagine walking this journey with people who are also walking the same valley as you and are committed to helping each other move through it in a God-honoring way. Imagine getting hopeful encouragement and helpful advice from folks who are just a little further along in the journey. Now, we've been imagining it for years now, and we're thrilled that it's finally become a reality in the form of Nothing is Wasted community groups. To join the groups, all you have to do is go to nothingiswasted.com slash community groups, click on join a group, and then it'll take you into the portal to create a login and a profile. From there, you can join a group or a couple of groups that apply to you and you can start making some connections. We believe there's going to be so much healing and so many lifelong friendships that come out of this. I can't wait to see what God does through it. Again, it's nothingiswasted.com slash community groups. Can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host. And joining me again, and for the entire month of April, yes. Maria Hatch Bowersock. Hello. I love, I love like your name is it's like it's like a full name. It's I, like every a time full I say name. I'm like Maria Hatch Bowersock. I know. It feels very cinematic. You know, and I cannot drop the hatch because a little fun. Tell fact. me why, yes. So my dad adopted me at 18. I have oh. never like had a relationship I didn't with know this. a dad. Yeah. Wow. With my dad. And so he adopted me. And when I got married, I'm like, I'm sorry, honey. Yeah. I'm keeping my dad's last name. No, so I think <laughs> so, I think it's fantastic. I think it yes. sounds so it sounds powerful. Maria oh, Hatch Bowersock. Good. So good. And I grew up in the South where, you know, oh. double names are so prevalent They're anyways. Like a thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know. Nice. So uh I think it works. I think it works really well. But good. thanks for joining us again for <laughs> the this episode. We have a, 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 an incredible interview with Andy Kolber, who's an EMDR oh, good. trauma counselor. And mm-hmm. I think the thing I love about this, and particularly Andy, is that she comes at this from uh, a uh, really, I believe a great perspective in the sense that she has a professional counseling, you know, trauma uh, uh, experience, mm-hmm. but also a biblical perspective. Yeah, and how those two things marry. And mm-hmm. I know, you know, you have mentioned to me that you've gone through EMDR therapy. You have kind of worked through some of that stuff mm-hmm. with the loss of your parents and some of the other trauma that you. Um, have experienced. I'm curious as to like your experience with that because we've just kind of scratched the surface yeah. on EMDR yes. as we've gone through conversations. Yeah. Well, I get really excited. I'm really excited that she's talking about EMDR. Um, I, for a long time, had no idea that yeah. I had trauma. Uh, I was in and out of different counselors' office offices. Uh-huh. Um, constantly being told I had anxiety or depression, but I, whatever I had was Mm. just, um, it was so intense. It was like an abnormal amount of that stuff. Wow. And so like the traditional, um, I don't know what you would call it, like the traditional like 
tools that the yeah, counselors would give exactly, me right. were not working. Um, and so I constantly huh. would leave those offices feeling like something's wrong Defeated with me. Defeated and discouraged. And yeah. Little did I know that that's a story that often people with trauma right. tell themselves. Right. Something Which is wrong with you. Which probably spins you even further it into does. anxiety and it depression. Does. Yeah. And it was not until um, I ended up um, it was so severe at one point that somebody finally was like, I think you have PTSD wow. um, and ended up in a actual um, trauma counselor's office mm. where I was diagnosed not just with PTSD, but complex TP PTSD. Oh, wow. What's the difference between those two? Right um, I, you know, I'm not sure. It's just <laughs> a little bit more complicated. Maybe. <laughs> she said um, my, my therapist actually likened my PTSD to one of a war vet. Um, I have a lot of similarities. She actually has one in her office and there's a lot of similarities between us Mm. where, um, you know that you're safe, but you just can't believe it. You can't quite get there. So there's a lot of work to be done. And one of those, um, things that we do is EMDR. And really what that is, is, um, I don't want to give too much away, but it's retraining your brain, how to process Hmm. information where you feel unsafe, where your brain is going, this is not safe, this is not safe. And so it's on high alert and you're retraining your brain, how to process that information to know that I am safe. I'm 34. I'm not a six-year-old anymore who's getting abused. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're retraining how to process information that you just didn't know how to do. Wow. So do you feel like that, that that particular type of therapy has really helped you? Like, have you seen dramatic Significantly. progress? Significantly. Oh, traumatic wow. progress. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've mentioned this before in the pod- podcast, but Christy and I have talked about doing it each, mm-hmm. you know, with, uh, with the trauma that each of us have experienced. And so we've had more conversations about that. Of course, she's a seven and I'm a three. And so we tend to justify why we don't need it. You know, right. we're like, we need to do right. this and then we never get to it. So we, right. uh, we have to, you know, I think that that's something that continually gets confirmed to us over and over. And I love, you know, how Andy talks about it in this, I, lo- I love that she's able to kind of bridge the gap there between the church community and, you know, the professional counseling community. Because yes. I imagine, I mean, I don't know if you ran into this, but I imagine there may be some like sideways glances or uh, stuff when uh, you yes. tell people, oh, you yeah, know, going through EMDR, yes. especially in the church community. What's your experience been like that with that? Yeah, I think that in the church community, we like to, um, and I was actually listening to the podcast episode you had with Mm. Gary Thomas, and he was talking about something completely different, but we like to say, if you do X, Y, and Z, then this will happen and Mm. you'll be fine. With trauma, and we're learning, like there's so much more gray in life, and trauma is gray. And so X, Y, and Z doesn't always produce Mm -hmm. this. Um, And so that... I have I have felt mm. that um, it's been hard to talk about my trauma yeah, within right, the church right. community, um, and not yeah, it's just been hard. It's it's been hard to talk about. Yeah, well, really. it feels like it doesn't get received mm-hmm. um, as you know. It just gets dismissed as like, oh, there's something wrong with you, and you need Jesus. That you know what I mean? Like, yes, you need Jesus. You it's need like, Jesus. Yeah. Period. Well. Yeah, but you know I have Jesus. Yes. And I'm 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 on a journey right now trying yeah. to work through this to know how to better follow him. Right. Right. And, I, and and that's what, you know, I think Andy does such a great job of being able to say, "Hey, here's how God 
created our brains to work, but here's how the world Mm -hmm. has really fractured that. Mm -hmm. And our experiences have fractured that. And so really, this is part of our sanctification process in coming into wholeness and healing. And so this is, I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible conversation that I Mm -hmm. have with her. And healing can be practical. Like healing of God is, can be practical. Exactly. These are tools that are. It should be practical, right? If we're being healed spiritually, it's not just ethereal or like this, you know, intangible thing. Like it should affect the rest of our being, right? Mm -hmm. The spiritual that's going on in our soul. It should affect the rest of our being physically. And I mean, how many of us, we know that when we experience uh, stress or trauma on the inside, that it, it, it our body, it, it impacts our body, right? Mm-hmm. Our body tells that, so it affects us physically as yep. well. Yep, and so, absolutely. Yeah. So good, so good. Well, next, you guys, we would love it if you would go and rate and review us on iTunes. This helps us get seen so that we can reach more people, and we would love for more people to have access to this yeah. information. And you know what? While you're at it, Will you go follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, um, and give us a comment, a like, share um, yeah. in your Instagram stories? We'd love to hear from you. This is a great way where we get to hear from you and mm-hmm. interact with you. I've seen a lot of sharing going on recently, which mm-hmm. is so great. I think this is the best way for you to get this this these conversations of hope and healing in other people's hands. Is just to share it with them. Say, hey, you know, listen to this podcast. Maybe it'll help you or this particular episode. So I would encourage you to do that as well as. Share Share your story with us mm. on our stories platform. Yes. Uh, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash stories and submit your story so that people can read it. We love to, uh, I, I keep getting reminded of the verse in Revelation that says that they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Ah, that, so good. That, you know, part like 50% of the equation of us healing and overcoming is sharing our story. Yes. Amen. So step in, share your story, share it with us. We'd love to, you know, blast that out, broadcast it um, to, to all of our uh, community. Nothingiswasted.com slash stories. Yes. And along those lines of sharing your story, let's listen to Davy's conversation with Andy. Andy, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, you have just released this book called Try Softer, and I want to talk a little bit about this book, but I really am just fascinated to in your work and kind of the message that you're carrying, the work that you're doing. But for the listener who may not be familiar with you or your work, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life, who you are, and and what you do? Yeah. So I'm a licensed professional counselor in Castle Rock, Colorado, and I have a practice here. And then I'm married. I've been married for about 12 years and have two kiddos. And um, I'm also, um, I'm a survivor of trauma in my own childhood. Mm. And so that really has been a huge part of what has influenced a lot of um, where I've decided to go with my work and probably in ways that I didn't even know when I first decided to become a counselor because so much of my trauma was unidentified. And we, we have only gotten better language around trauma, especially in the last decade. Um, and so, yeah, I do a lot of work around what is called trauma-informed work. Mm. And, and that's just the recognition that all of us have a body and a nervous system, and we have a way that we process pain. 
And that is always affecting us in any type of situation we're in, including and especially therapy. Yeah. So that's a really important piece of my work. Wow. Well, I want to spend a lot of time talking about, because I think that you're going to be able to resource us in a lot of ways um, as we just kind of talk through the topic of trauma-informed therapy and everything that you're doing. But I'm I'm really curious if you feel comfortable sharing um, the trauma that happened to you early in your childhood that became kind of an inspiration for this work. Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I always say when I talk about this, I'm, I'm one of five kids in my family. And so there are parts of my story that I don't completely share just mm-hmm. because there's so many people who are Absolutely. involved. Um, but, the, but the basics of it are that um, I grew up in a really chaotic and dysfunctional family. It was, mm-hmm. it was loving in many respects, but um, I experienced a lot of verbal and emotional abuse, especially from my father. Um, my mom... In, in the midst of that system, system became an alcoholic. Mm. And, and so even though she really loved us, she was pretty unavailable to us in times that we really needed her um, to be there for us as we're trying to navigate a parent who was essentially the source of a lot of the trauma. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that come out of that because I became parentified as a kiddo, meaning mm. I just took on responsibility far outside of what was appropriate as a kid. Um, I just didn't, I learned that I couldn't really pay attention to my body. Um, I learned to, to basically what I call white knuckle it. And, and what I mean by that is I learned that I got um, affirmation and I got things done (laughs) when I ignored my own needs and I was pretty good at that. And that felt, and that felt good. I actually played college basketball. I was, um, you know, I, I did, I got great grades in school, but internally a lot of what was going on with me is that I was, I was hurt. Mm. I felt really alone and I was pretty traumatized. Um, especially what's called attachment trauma, which is really based on um, we need our parents mm. to create a safe landing place because our nervous systems as kiddos are really underdeveloped. Wow. And so when we don't have the security of our parents to help us, it can really significantly affect the trajectory of, of really our, the, our entire life. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things that you talk about quite a bit and that you kind of work with is some of these um, these traumas that we don't recognize necessarily growing up. And this is something you even just mentioned. You didn't recognize this as trauma Mm -hmm. until later on. Why do you suppose that is? Why do you suppose that you didn't recognize it? And and what, what caused that unearthing to begin to go, Oh, wait a minute. This is, this is trauma experience. This is something that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So a couple of things. The first thing is I like to delineate between big T trauma and little T trauma. Mm. Um, And But before we even do that, I'll say this. I define trauma pretty broadly as anything that overwhelms our nervous system and our ability to cope. Mm. And what is meant by that is that our body has a natural and I believe God-given ability to move and process through pain. Like in the same way that when you get a cut and then you heal, that is sort of a similar idea. Like our bodies are made to move towards healing. Well, trauma in a way is basically, it's like the healing gets blocked because we don't have what we feel like we need to essentially metabolize 
whatever just happened. Wow. So if you're a kiddo, it takes a lot less <laughs> to be overwhelmed yeah. by something intense, right? Like something that might not seem traumatizing to an adult could actually be extremely traumatizing to a kid. Yeah. So big T trauma and little T trauma um, are both on that spectrum. However, big T trauma, you know, according to the DSM, and this isn't like the full diagnostic, but it tends to be connected to any time that, you know, our, our life is threatened or we observe someone else um, mm -hmm. having their life threatened or taken away or being in a natural disaster or experiencing sexual violence. Yeah. And then we have the, you know, the repercussions of those things that happen afterwards. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially PTSD. Right. Well, so a lot of what you're asking about, why didn't I identify it as trauma is because it's what I call little T trauma. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the only one who's called it that. I think Francine Shapiro, uh, who's the creator of a, an important type of trauma modality, she's talked about that a lot. But um, essentially, little t trauma, I, I liken it to if PTSD is like getting a gaping mm -hmm. wound, right? That like you need to immediately need to go to the ER, right. like right now. Right. That's PTSD. Little t trauma is like you got, you got a paper cut. Mm -hmm. And I know that doesn't sound like a big deal. But then let's say you also got a hundred more paper cuts on your same hand. Right. And you didn't take care of it and then it got infected. Yep. And like you're to the point where you actually can't use your hands yeah. because it's not healing. Mm. And so little T trauma is much more like that. You know, it's not necessarily one thing that's hard isn't necessarily going to completely um, cause us to not function in our life. Yeah. But if we have um, layers and upon layers of little t trauma that gets unaddressed. And especially when that starts in childhood, it can be as debilitating yeah. as, as PTSD. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's so important to, to, to take a look at these small cuts or small t trauma, because I mean, at the end of the day, this is where that, that phrase death by a thousand cuts, it seems mm. like it's not, you know, just the first couple doesn't seem like it's doing anything. So I imagine it's very easy to just kind of push that aside. Oh, that wasn't a big deal. But mm -hmm. many of those layered on top of each other, one day you wake up and it, it's a big deal. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing is, is, um, you know, your question earlier was, why did I not recognize it? Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot of layers to that. But part of it is culturally, we, and both in the church and the bigger culture, we tend to not do a great job yeah. of honoring pain. Yeah. You know, we expect people to get over it. Right. We expect people like, I don't care what's going on in the inside. You figure it out on the outside. Yeah. Right. And so one definition of mental health that I find really helpful is when we are congruent that our outside matches our inside. Hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean like if we're depressed, like, okay, just that's it. Like just here's my white flag and right, I'm done. Right. But it means that we need to allow our insides to influence hmm. outsides because then we can do something with it. Then we have choices. Then we may have more connection. We're empowered to work with the pain. Yeah. But when we pretend, or as like what I was mentioning earlier, I call it white knuckling. Right. When we're just like, nope, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. You know, right, right. Um, that tends to keep us stuck and traumatized. Hmm. 
I think this is a very um, common thing that someone, you know, would have childhood trauma that they don't recognize. Uh, how, how would someone go about recognizing, you know, even, even if you're in the adult stages right now, go, wait a minute, I, I think I had some trauma in my childhood that, I, that needs to be addressed that I need to look into a lot more. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I think one thing I would want to um, share with your listeners before we go there is something that um, is an important concept in the work I do. Mm. And it's something called our window of tolerance. Mm. And the window of tolerance is developed kind of by uh, mostly Dan, Dr. Dan Siegel and um, Dr. Stephen Porges have, have both done really important work. But the idea is that all of us have a range Mm. in which we can feel our feelings and it feels and it's tolerable meaning we can like be with them in a way where we continue to feel like ourselves yeah but what can happen um is that we it, especially if we have a history of trauma yeah. our window of tolerance shrinks and it does this as our body's trying to protect us we become mm. hyper aware to possible danger and so like let's say we're in a friend situation and someone says something all of a sudden we feel anxious and we don't even know why mm. and and maybe that's in part because we have a lot of relational trauma that we've never addressed and our body is moving. We're getting outside of our window of tolerance and we're, we're going into fight or flight or potentially we may go to what's called dissociation. That's the low part. That's the, um, yeah, there's two parts to the window of tolerance. And when we go out of it on the upside, it's fight or flight. Yeah. And on the bottom side, it's dissociation or it can look like depression. And so I think this really matters to understand because when you ask the question, how can I identify hmm. if maybe I have some trauma that I'm not realizing? Often it's related to this idea of emotional regulation. Um, you know, oftentimes it's this question of like, I'm anxious all the time, but nothing's wrong. Hmm. or um, there's this, all this good stuff happening in my life and, and for some reason I, I can't be happy about it or I don't even have any feelings about it. I actually hmm. feel really numb. Or, um, you know, there's these people in my life who really want to support me and honestly, the thing I really want to do is run away. Wow. Those types of things are, are oftentimes our body giving us information like, hey, there's some stuff that needs to be addressed here. Yeah, That's interesting. So in some ways, what's happening on the outside isn't quite matching what's happening on the inside. And that can be kind of an indicator to us or one of those indicators to us. I think, I mean, maybe this isn't, maybe you're, this isn't what you're saying, but I look at like the innocence of my kids and mm -hmm. when something really good happens, they're super happy about it. Like, it matches, you know, it's like, wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then when something really bad or, you know, something they're really upset about happens, their emotions show that. And it makes, mm -hmm. it's like it, it matches. But what you're saying is that one of the indicators can be that what's, what's taking place on the outside, you're experiencing something great and yet you're feeling really depressed about it, or you're not having anything going on that seems, you know, from the outside looking in should be something that causes anxiety, but you're feeling this underlying stirring of anxiety or hum of anxiety all the time. Is that what you're saying? These are kind of the things that... Yes. I think if, of anything, I think it's the mismatch in itself mm. that is the clue. Because, um, you know, one of the things that's a really important value to me in the work that I do is, is coming from a place of understanding that God is so compassionate to us and, and therefore we can have a lot of compassion for ourselves. Yeah. And I think sometimes what tends to happen is we're like, why 
can't I be just be happy about this? Yeah. You know, and we start shaming ourselves. But if we can take a different posture, mm. and the posture is God made your body with wisdom. Mm. God made our bodies to heal. And when we're getting that kind of information, it's our body telling us there's something that needs to be attended to. And so it's it's not so much that you're not capable of feeling happy about this thing. Maybe you have a history that um, every year on your birthday, when when you were wanting to be so happy and celebrate, that's when your parents got drunk and Mm. forgot every single year. And so every year on your birthday, you're like, I want to be happy and celebrate this. um, But everything in me just wants to shut down and run away from this. Mm. And that is not a reason to shame ourselves. That's a reason to have a lot of compassion and to say, wow, like, this is a part of my story that needs a lot of nurturing and wow. a lot of gentleness. Wow. So once somebody kind of discovers that when they have this like epiphany where they go, wait a minute, I think I've got some unaddressed trauma that I really need to look at. What do you advise them to do next? What's kind of the next step in that? Well, I think there's a couple layers to it. I mean, the first is if at all possible, and I know this isn't always possible because of finances and stuff, but I would recommend finding a therapist who has experience with most likely complex trauma or childhood trauma yeah. because it is kind of its own. It's just, um, there's so many layers to it. Right. So you really have to have a handle. It's important, you know, to ask your therapist, ask a potential therapist, do you work with issues like this? Is this something that you um, feel really comfortable with? How, mm. how might you work with someone like, like me? Um, so I think that's just always important, you know, yeah. to put out there. Right. But the, the other things that I think that we can do, and, and, you know, I, I talk about a lot of this in, in the book, Try Softer. Mm-hmm. Because it really comes from this trauma-informed lens of, of first, we're just trying to identify the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, it, like because most people, most people experience this in general as, I know something, but I can't live it. Yeah. Like, I know God loves me, but I can't feel it. I know my spouse wants to be helpful, but I, I can't believe that. I, um, you know, I know I'm a capable person, but when I go to work, I feel like an idiot. You know, it's, it's the disconnect that um, gives us that information. And so one of the really important keys is beginning to get curious Mm. and paying attention. And I know it seems so obvious because it's like, people are like, does it? (laughs) I mean, it isn't it. It's not it. We're honestly, we're not very good at being curious though in our culture, you know? We're good, yeah. at, we're good at stating our opinion. We're good at telling people what we know, but asking questions and being curious and investigatory, that's a lost yeah. art on us. So you would think it would be easy. You'd think it would be obvious, but it, maybe this is one of the reasons why we're struggling with it as well. Yeah. Well, and curiosity, I think one of the things that's important about it is that it's a fruit of our brain being integrated, wow. meaning we're in our window of tolerance. Mm. So going back to that concept, once we're outside of our window of tolerance, either fight or flight or dissociation, we don't have the capacity of what's called our prefrontal cortex, which mm. is, it's this part of, it's the, if for the people who can see this, you know, it's <laughs> at the top of our brain. And it's, it's an important part because it brings together all the parts of our brain. Mm. And so obviously like we need all of our brain, yeah. but this specific part is like, 
It's the thing that integrates us. Yeah. Um, and so we can only do that. We can only be curious right. and we can only have that posture if we're in our window of tolerance. Mm. And so it's, it's, you know, even things like why, why is it so hard for me to be curious might be a good place to start mm. because it might show us that, oh, I'm actually way outside of my window of tolerance. Maybe like a lot of the time, mm. like maybe I'm often in that place where I'm feeling really rigid and I need to fix it and I need to control it. Um, and if that's, you know, if that's someone that's listening today, this is going to sound so paradoxical, but often the place to start is with compassion for that. Mm. And just, just like what we were talking about with that example of the, um, you know, the person who's thinking about their birthday and they feel like they should be happy, but they can't be, you know, I, I love how Jesus is always a walking paradox. Yeah. And to me, I feel like that's what self-compassion is in a way that it's like modeling this idea of everything in us just wants to be like, I can't believe Mm. that you're still doing this thing that you should have figured out and healed the last decade. Mm -hmm. And to be able to be like, you know, what is it that you've needed? Mm. Why have you needed to be so anxious? What has that been protecting you from? Like, what is it that controlling everything? Like, how has that helped you be safe? Wow. Because I really believe that's what God models towards us. Yeah. And so then it's like, we get to steward that. Hmm. And then we get to ask that question to the parts of ourselves that are not receiving what we know to be true. Wow. That's so true. I think the misconception of, of God is so often this, you know, Zeus-like figure that's kind of waiting for us to mess up. And so, you know, we've got to walk on eggshells, make sure behaviorally we're lined up or hit the standards and all of that. But God's not, when you read the God of the Bible and you see him in the person of Jesus, you see this Mm -hmm. gentle, soft, compassionate, um, you know, by no means demonstrating a lack of strength, but it's like within that strength, he's demonstrating this like ability to, you know, handle situations in a, in a compassionate manner, in a merciful manner, in a, Mm. and it's like this beautiful paradox of strength and tenderness all at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. And and this is, this is why I love the work that you're doing. And I love this, the message of try softer, because fortunately, I think the conversation is happening, beginning to happen Mm. in the church in the Mm -hmm. sense that, okay, there is a, there is a, there needs to be a marrying of what we're learning in psychology about how our brain functions and what we know about what God's word says about, you know, our heart and renewing our mind. But that's one of the things that you really speak to is bridging those two things. Why do you think that's important that we do that? And, um, and, 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 and what would you say to somebody who would say, no, you know, the psychology stuff. And I, I, no, I'm just like going to stay spiritual on this one. Mm. That's the answer. (laughs) Talk to me about the bridging of those, you know? Boy, I'm like, how much time do we have? (laughs) No. um, So there's a lot of layers to that. And I think, I mean, frankly, there are going to be people who maybe even hear this and they're like, you know, I don't care how good, how much you love Jesus. Like, I know I'm not going to take the psych, psych, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Like they may have that thought. But I think the thing that I would um, in general invite people to consider is the reality that truth is truth. 
God's mm. truth is God. Like truth is truth. Like yeah. God's the author of truth. And like who, just because someone who maybe doesn't identify as a Christian stumbles on a truth doesn't make it less true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, one of the things that's so important is to just understand that God is the author of healing. Mm. He just is. He's the author of it. And so, you know, I often work with people who are not Christians in my practice and, and that that doesn't change the reality that I believe that God created the tools. Mm. Um, I don't have to be explicitly talking about Jesus to know that Jesus is good mm. and that Jesus, you know, even, you know, I think from a, a level of common grace um, mm. makes available levels of, of healing, you know, and, and I, and obviously there's a lot of nuance to that, like not just, but I think that we can recognize you know, I think about something like mindfulness yeah. and just being able to learn how to be present. And I'm like, that is a, that is a, that's common grace. Right. Like that's like the sun outside on our cheeks. Right. You know what I mean? Like God made humans to experience certain things just because God is good. Right. And so for me, I think the reality of all my work always is rooted in this idea that like every single person is the Imago day, mm-hmm. and they are, we are, you know, we're just so loved. We're so loved and we're so cared for. And, and obviously it doesn't mean that life isn't hard. It still is. Mm. But I think that when we can recognize that God's, I mean, obviously the the Bible and the inspired word of God matters so much and that God has made available to us, um, aspects of truth and psychology. And why wouldn't we? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like, like, it's like telling someone like, Hey, I know you have cancer, but mm. you shouldn't go see the doctor. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, if that's, if we don't use that reasoning when we're talking about can- cancer, right. then let's not talk about it when we're, when we're talking about psychology either. Yeah. yeah. Maria, I wanted to stop this conversation because one of the things that I've been wrestling through is this idea that life works in seasons and Mm -hmm. therefore relationships work in seasons. Mm -hmm. And you know, we had Deborah Faleda on the podcast several episodes ago. She's an author, counselor, relationship expert, and she wrote a book called Love in Every Season. And I think this concept has just already transformed my relationships. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I love this concept because... My husband and I just celebrated nine years. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Thank you. But, but I don't mean to but (laughs) But. that. (laughs) The reality is marriage is hard and she talks about just the different seasons. And in particular, I was looking, you know, thinking about the the season of winter and, you know, when you've been married for nine years, there are seasons of winter yeah. and those seasons you don't want to talk about or you yeah. feel ashamed. You don't of. want to tell the world like, no. oh, you know, we're kind of, it feels cold right now. We're struggling no. through this right now. Yeah. But what I love about her book mm-hmm. is um, that it doesn't make it feel like a bad thing. It's or not abnormal. To be, yes. Yeah. It's just normal. It's a season. The hard seasons does not necessarily mean it's a bad thing. This is, right. this, but if we have the right tools and we know how to move through these seasons intentionally, then that season can actually set the stage for a new season, a growth season. Exactly. Um, otherwise, if we don't have the tools, then we could easily, like in winter, for instance, it could easily freeze over. Mm-hmm. And so this has been a really helpful resource for me, me in too. any relationship. Yes. It's been amazing. So go buy her book at nothingiswasted.com slash love in every season. 
going back to when someone recognizes, wait, I've got some unaddressed childhood trauma or I've got some unaddressed trauma. They're recognizing some of these signs. Um, and I asked you earlier, what should, what should you do? You said, okay, first of all, you should find a therapist if finances are, you know, uh, are, are there for you to be able to do that. And, and then second of all, begin to just be curious about mm-hmm. those things. And then from there, what, is there anything else? What else can we do from mm-hmm. that? Yeah. I mean, I think w- another element actually kind of going off of where, what we were just talking about, mindfulness is a really helpful tool in mm. the sense of the work that I do because mindfulness incorporates our prefrontal cortex. Mm. So like we were just talking about, our prefrontal cortex is available to us when we're in our window of tolerance. Yeah. So for those of us who've experienced either childhood trauma or honestly, just even any type of trauma, right? I mean, really anything that feels overwhelming to our nervous system and we're not open, that if we can begin to sort of give ourselves permission to to pay non-judgmental attention Mm. to present moments. Now, there's a lot of ways to do that to also, uh, you know, incorporate with, um, with faith. You know, there's, there's things like breath prayer. Um, there's things like centering prayer. Um, but I also just love the idea that God is just with us yeah. right here, mm-hmm. whether or not we're even really doing anything. Yeah. So paying attention even to moments of like that feel soothing mm. can a really good place to start because the reality is, is if the more trauma that you have, sometimes it can be a little bit, it can be, it can be pretty activating to turn inward at first. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why a lot of us don't pay attention to our emotions. It's because it feels unpleasant and we're not maybe ready yet. So if that's the case for your listeners, I would, I would really recommend even starting with, um, paying attention to things that are soothing outside of them. So like looking at the sky, (laughs) going outside and putting your feet, like literally bare feet on the grass, (laughs) notice the sensations of what that feels like and what colors do you see? Because what that does is it, it causes us to be so in that moment that it, it helps us to essentially get back in our window of tolerance. Mm. And then once we're there, we can begin to be like, oh, when so-and-so called me, I got really <laughs> triggered and I sort of lost my ability to have perspective. Yeah. Now I'm back. And yeah. now what can I do with that? That's great. So basically you're telling us to channel our inner Enneagram four by yes. looking out a window. And- <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally an Enneagram four. Are you? So I, I come it. by that honestly. Love, well, yeah. I'm a three wing four. So I, I'm with you on that one. It's great. And we think that my son, my son's five. We think that he might be a four purely because we often catch him just staring out of a window. <laughs> oh, that, that's like, amazing. I know fours, you know, can see the beauty. I call it beauty that's hunting. It. That's it. Yeah. That's so great. Um, speaking of my, my son, one of the things you said earlier that really intrigued me. You said, you know, as parents, it's important for us to create a, an environment where kids have a safe place to land. Mm-hmm. What, is that, what does that look like, particularly for someone who maybe is discovering for themselves that they've got, they're wrestling with some anxiety and they're wondering, man, am I creating a, mm. a space that it feels anxious for my kids? And 
how would you kind of recommend navigating that a little bit? Obviously, obviously I'm asking all these questions for my own personal, this is my own personal <laughs> counseling session right now, uh, off the books, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. No, it's a good question. And, and frankly, I think an important one, I'm mm-hmm. also, you know, as I said, I'm a mom. And so this, you know, becoming a parent has probably been one of the biggest catalysts in my own healing. Yeah. Um, my, my daughter is, she'll be eight in January, but when she was born, you know, I thought I had done all this work. And I mean, I had, I had done levels of healing. Mm-hmm. I had gotten to certain places, but it wasn't until my daughter was born that I was like, wow, mm-hmm. like, I have a lot more work to do. Wow. Like I'm not, I'm like not anywhere near finished. And and that's okay. Yeah, like, I feel really grateful. I feel like I, there was like this, I, it cracked me open a mm-hmm. little bit in a way that I didn't even know was possible. Mm. Um, so, but to your question, so I think the thing I would want to start with just as a really basic framework for folks who maybe haven't heard of this idea is this, there's this concept of attachment mm. and a Attachment is. Have you heard of that concept yep, before? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. So <laughs> in, in the many counseling sessions that we've done. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we've it's so it. it's so vital. Yeah. But the idea is is that it's not whether or not we will attach. It's yeah. the question of what is the quality of the attachment. Mm. And so all of us, even as adults, we have attachment styles, but right. they they are created. They they begin from our earliest breaths. Mm. Like they're literally part of what shapes the neurobiology of our brain, which is why it's a big deal when we experience childhood trauma. Um, But so with attachment in general, there's either secure attachment Mm -hmm. or there's insecure attachment. And within insecure attachment, there's, there's three styles as well, but I'll, I'll just start with the insecure versus um, secure. Secure, Yeah. And, and so secure attachment is basically the idea that, it, that as a parent, we are um, creating a, a, an environment and interactions that are good enough mm. in terms of um, our responsiveness and attunement to our kids. Mm. So what is important to hear there, because I know, I think when, whenever parents hear this, they're like, oh, I'm not good <laughs> I'm enough, not doing it enough yeah. or like I, like, I need to be perfect or whatever. So good enough is really important in the sense that we really don't have to be perfect. Right. Um, And if anything, it's really important to recognize, it's more important to recognize when we've maybe like missed the mark Mm -hmm. and do what's called repair or from a Christian lens, reconcile, you know, to show like, how can I make amends? How can I make this right? And so with kids, when we when we do something that like hurt their feelings or, you know, like for me, I could think of my daughter like yelling and waking up my younger son. Yeah. Like maybe I get mad at her. If I, if I then say to her, honey, I am so sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you that you didn't, you know, even though mommy didn't want you to yell, um, I also shouldn't have treated you that mm. way. What we're doing is I'm repairing that attachment and so even though there's maybe something about that that still wasn't completely like I don't love that I did that yeah. but in a way we might even be more close mm. and hopefully she will be able to even tolerate difficult situations because she knows what it's like to work through the situation. Wow, that's great. So 
So that secure attachment, it's like this place where um, we create an environment in which our kids can come to us when they're hurting. Mm. And then they have the courage to go out into the world because they know we're there. Um, they can go explore the world because we, they know we're still there. Wow. Whew. What a great picture of that. That was perfectly painted. Andy, mm. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now in my mind, thank I'm you. going, I'm going to go apologize to my kids a lot this evening. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, and I think, and I think what is so key here, and I actually talk mm. about this quite a bit in Try Softer, is that it's not about perfection. It's really of anything about humility mm. and self-awareness. So the oh. more aware and in tune we are with ourselves, we become more aware and in tune with our kiddos. Wow. So, so doing our own healing work literally has generational impacts. I mean, it yep. can truly change the DNA of, of your kids yep. and your grandkids and what, you know, whatever else. Yep. Wow. So it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, so the insecure attachment piece is essentially not good enough parenting. Mm. <laughs> it's when, and, and I want to say here that oftentimes this doesn't mean that we either don't love our kids. There are lots of parents who maybe don't have secure attachments. They have insecure attachments and they still very much love their kids. Yeah. Or maybe they also received, like they were given from their parents mm. an insecure attachment. And it doesn't mean their parents didn't love them. Mm-hmm. So I just want to be really clear that there's lots of room for compassion um, in the sense that oftentimes people are truly doing the best that they can yeah, with what they've been given. Um, but what it also means is that like, let's say we have some pretty significant trauma and mm-hmm. that keeps us really maybe anxious and keyed up. And so when our child is feeling anxious, Rather than being able to stay emotionally regulated while they're struggling, maybe we become extremely emotionally dysregulated. We Mm. go to fight or flight because we can't tolerate what they're experiencing. Mm. What that can do is create what's called an anxious attachment. And it often can come from a good intention, but but our child begins to learn that this situation isn't safe. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's not safe to have this feeling. And my parent isn't really able to help me work through this feeling. And maybe mm. even they might start to feel like they need to help their parent mm. calm down. Wow. They don't feel like they get to be maybe the kid or, I mean, there's, so there's, there's a lot of variations, but so often it's not because we don't want to be there for our kids. Yeah. It's because we don't have the capacity to regulate ourselves. Mm. Um, so we can provide that safe base for them when they're having a hard time. Wow. Um, so that's, that's one version that's anxious, ambivalent. The other version is something called avoidant attachment. And, and that happens when Oftentimes this gets passed down from parents who maybe all of the, all of their like uh, food and clothing and a roof over your head, like that's all provided for, but the emotional warmth mm. isn't there. Yeah. It's like, go suck it up mm-hmm. or like, like figure it out. Like you, you, there's no crying here. We don't, we don't tolerate that in our family. Mm. Like, so what the child learns is even if they wanted 
to connect with their parent, their parent wouldn't have what they needed. Yeah. And so what they learn is to, to sort of reject and disconnect from their own emotional experience. And then they tend to lean really heaven, heavily on their left brain mm. to stay really cerebral. And that sort of keeps them safe. Mm. Um, but the avoidant attachment comes in because when someone like, let's say they get paired up with a spouse who's really emotional, if that spouse becomes emotional, they're going to be like, I'm out of here. Mm. I, I, this is too much for me. Like your emotions, I can't tolerate. Wow. Um, and then the last attachment style is something called disorganized attachment. And, or in adulthood, it's called fearful avoidant. And basically that happens when we often like when one or both of our caregivers um, are partly the source of our trauma. Mm. And, and the reason that happens is, is because a child is put in a double bind. It's like we are neurobiologically wired to depend on our caregiver. But if that caregiver, like we need them to literally survive, but they're, if they're also like terrifying, yeah, we don't know how to make sense of that situation. And so we might learn to dissociate yeah. or we might learn to fear connection because we don't know what's going to happen. We mm. think connection means pain. Um, and so most of us have a blend of these attachments, like even people who have maybe mostly a secure attachment might have also qualities of one or all of the other insecure attachments too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was so helpful. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm right, like, I'll write notes down, make sure, <laughs> all right, let's make sure that we are attuning properly. And no, this it's, is... I, yeah. I know it can feel like a lot. Yeah. And I think this is where we need grace, That's you right. know? And yep. I think that for me, like this is where, um, it, yeah, I mean, I think personally as someone who is a survivor of trauma, mm. who knows how badly I could potentially mess up my kids and believe me, we're still saving for therapy. <laughs> you know, we like, say that all the time. Like, <laughs> we're saving um, for therapy right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we, but, but we're doing, you know, I think, but what I feel so grateful for is that even when we mess up, yeah. we can heal. Right. Even when we hurt our children, um, we can repair. And that God is such a good parent. Yeah. And can be such a good, safe, secure attachment for us as we learn to move towards safe mm -hmm. attachment and secure attachment. And so I think there's a lot of hope yeah. and a lot of hope. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting, I was just thinking about this as you're, as you're talking that we we're using this language that seems like it's, you know, psychology language, like, you know, healing or repair or whatever, but really all of us, every single one of us has evidence of brokenness in us. Mm. And every mm -hmm. one of us, nobody excluded, is on a healing journey. We, mm -hmm. re regardless of the, the little T trauma, big T trauma that we've experienced, we are all on this journey called sanctification, where we are <laughs> trying to let go of some of the brokenness that's inside of us and um, let Jesus repair that. And, mm. and so, you know, I think this is just like, just to go back to this idea too of, Hey, this is not just like psychobabble. This is not, this is, this is our life. This is our journey with Christ. And how amazing is it too, that now we've been able to discover some helpful tools. We've been able to kind of uncover the, this is how the brain works. 
you know, just as amazing mm-hmm. as it was when they began going, this is how the rest of your body works and the anatomy. And this is how, you know, and we're so grateful for that and the medical industry and some of the common grace, like you were talking about, but now we're going, okay, this is how the brain works. And this is how we can, we can partner with the work of the Holy spirit in healing from trauma. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what, one of the things I just love about the work you're doing. I've got two more questions. You got time for these two? Okay. Yes, I do. One of these questions and I know you have to be very careful about this because I'm not your client. I'm sorry for just using this as like a my own personal therapy session. But um, I'm going to lay kind of a, a personal vulnerable situation out to you. And then you just kind of take it as general as you want to on how you would advise someone like me to go through the next step. This is purely for the benefit of me, not for the <laughs> listener. If you, listener, if you, if you can get benefit from this, then that's great. Um I have, I feel like I've gone through on a really, um, the Lord's taken me on a really great healing journey from my tragedy about four years ago. Um, but some of the things that are beginning to crop up inside of me that I'm feeling like maybe there's another step for me to take is related to, um, medical trauma. Mm. So, um, you know, Andy, I shared a little bit before we got on the air about, about our story, but part of the, one of the nuances of our story that you need to know is that I, um, that morning walked in to find my wife on, on the living room floor. She'd been shot three times. And so, um, obviously a majorly traumatic moment right there, calling the, you know, ambulance and trying to figure out what exactly just happened and then not finding out till later what had happened. And so piecing all of that together and then my brain was trying to figure out, oh, that's why all this stuff was out of place. So there was a lot of just confusion surrounding that. Mm. So I, you know, went through a lot of uh, therapy, seeing counselors and kind of working through some of that. Now, praise the Lord, crazy, crazy, cool, redemptive story. I'm remarried and mm. my, my wife now at the time of the recording. So the listener's going to hear this later. My wife now is pregnant. Just yesterday, we had a doula over to talk through birth, the birthing process. And I started getting anxious, anxious thinking mm. about my wife in what could be a compromising situation, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the risks. Mm-hmm. And I've never had that before. And I've noticed this a couple times too in, um, I, I, I didn't have that before, you know, my previous wife was, was killed. I've noticed this a couple times in, in regards to our kids. Mm-hmm. I will have a heightened experience if something's like Weston, will, my son will say, mommy, my heart's hurting. Oh, my wife's a PA. So she gets, she knows what's going on, right? She's like, oh, you probably just need to drink some more water. You know, they're having a little, maybe like feeling their heartbeat a little bit more or something. But as soon as he says that, I'm like, wait, what's going on? Is something wrong? What's happening? And I kind of have this mm-hmm. heightened experience, right? Mm-hmm. This is, this right here is clued me in. As we've been talking about this whole conversation, it's clued me in. This, this is some trauma. This is some uh, effects of trauma mm-hmm. that, um, wow, I recognize it now. So mm-hmm. now let's take this in general. Someone who's recognizing mm-hmm. this, major mm-hmm. big T trauma. This is not little T. This is big T. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest as maybe a next step or how to process mm-hmm. through some of this? Yeah. So hypothetically speaking, <laughs> if, if, if someone was a client and mm-hmm. they had this type of, of situation, 
Um, I don't know your experience with your previous therapists, but I, I practice something called eye movement desensitization reprocessing. I soft tossed this question for you just because I knew that. Okay. Okay. I want to hear about this. I want to talk about this because this is honestly, Andy, this is one of the things we've talked about this on the podcast before. We've had people who've shared their stories and they've gone through that therapy. I've not gone through that. Okay. And I've considered, man, maybe I should, or, you know, I've kind of explored a little bit. So anyways, break this down. No. Yeah, no, that's great. So, so this, so it's for sure, it goes by EMDR Mm -hmm. and, and I'll just give you a brief overview of what that means. EMDR is a, is a therapeutic protocol that it was originally sort of identified and created for especially PTSD. Mm. Um, We now have, and well, we now know it can be helpful for anything that has roots in our nervous system. Mm. So again, right? We talk about this little T trauma spectrum. So I just say that for all the listeners who maybe don't have full on PTSD, but, um, I, I think I say that because it's just a really helpful modality. Um, and the way that it works is you typically either use, um, either use pulsars or you use something where this is where eye movement came from. And if for people who can see this, where you can, you, your eyes go back and forth, like you literally follow your therapist. Mm. Uh, and it's not hypnotization. The goal of this is that we're trying to stimulate both hemispheres of our brain. Mm. And the reason that we do that is the theory currently behind it is that it seems to simulate REM sleep. And there's something about REM sleep that, that appears to have a higher level of ability to process material. Mm. So EMDR is a is a way to target uh, disturbing material in a way that tends to sort of I use the language almost like it's like we can get at the trauma yeah. um, in a way that language like just verbal processing sometimes can't yeah hmm. because verbal processing is taking place in the left side of our brain hmm. um, most trauma is really connected to the right part of our brain, right hemisphere of our brain. And so what happens is, is that trauma by definition is disconnected from other parts of our brain. That's Mm. part of what makes it trauma. It's stuck. So the goal of EMDR is to sort of unstick the trauma. It's basically like we're trying to tap into our body's natural ability to heal. And so, you know, going back to this hypothetical question, um, there's a couple parts to this. The first is that I would highly recommend finding a skilled EMDR therapist. And um, like emdria.org is a good resource for that. That's the, um, you know, sort of the accrediting organization for EMDR. Um, and, And, you know, you can find like depending... I think you could probably search for folks who are Christians who practice EMDR. And, and I would say sometimes even depending on the issue, you know, it might be totally appropriate to, if you connect with someone who's not a Christian, I think EMDR can still be effective. So I'll, I'll say that too. But, um, so this is what I would tell you. Um, your body is giving you a lot of information Mm -hmm. about what I would say is sort of subconscious cues Mm. about something that isn't fully processed and meaning that that if we if we I'm not going to fully dig into it because Mm. I want to be careful because it's trauma and we want to be really mindful of that but there's some ways to sort of 
lean into that in some really specific ways mm. to sort of get to the the root. Yeah. And and with the root, we uh, we use EMDR to see if we can sort of help you process it so that um, it gets integrated essentially. Some people use the the language neutralized. We're trying to get it um and and that one that language doesn't always feel appropriate to me. Yeah. Um but the idea is is that we want it to not be disconnected from other parts of your brain. Mm. We want the part of your brain that is still experiencing something happening in the present that's maybe not a true crisis mm-hmm. to have connection to the other parts of your brain that can sort of tell it, hey, you know what? We're, we're here now. You're safe here. Um, wow. There's lots of support. There are other medical staff. You're... Um, son is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that hard things won't happen in our life. Right. But the nature of trauma is that we lose time. Mm-hmm. Meaning when, when trauma is triggered, we are experiencing what happened then as though it's happening now. Mm-hmm. We lose the ability to say, I'm feeling scared, but that fear is from 10 years ago, mm-hmm. not from right now. But when we begin to do this work, we, we think, we learn to be able to think about thinking. If our prefrontal cortex is online, we can say, we can sort of reparent ourselves or, or sort of help down regulate the parts of our brain that are like firing like crazy, like danger, danger, danger. And we can say, I know you're scared. I know you're afraid. I know you're fearful. Um, but what that that happened and it matters, but it's not happening in the here and now. Wow. And I'm going to help you move through this. And so a lot of trauma work is based in this idea of dual awareness, mm. um, that we can both have one foot in the present and one foot in the past, and we can hold tension and compassion mm. um, for both of those things. Wow. I, my mind is blown right now, Andy. Honestly, I'm like, this is amazing. Um, I, and we, I don't feel like we've even gotten to talk a whole lot about Try Softer, but you've probably talked a lot, a little bit about some of this in the book. And if you've talked about, you know, even a quarter of this stuff in the book, this book is so worth picking up and hearing mm. more from from Andy. And and so uh, before we before we end this conversation, and first of all, I want to I want to say thank you mm. for. Absolutely. Uh, helping me personally. Uh, <laughs> and, but also, um, is, what, what is the message you want the listener to, like there's one message you really want them to get with Try Softer. If you're really mm-hmm. trying to impart this, uh, we've got a listener who's going to like, I'm going to go pick up this book. What's your hope for them? I think it's that they are as valuable and loved mm. when they're being gentle and compassionate with themselves as when they're productive or when they're pushing or making things happen that that's that oftentimes, I guess I'm going to add one more thing that oftentimes the, the thing that creates resilience in us is not the shame and not the hustle, but it's the compassion and the Mm. gentleness that we show ourselves. Wow. That's awesome, man. It goes back to that. That that's our strength. That's the real strength inside of us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not this facade well, of strength that we try to put on. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, just uh, I'll say one more thing is that you're exactly right. Like a lot of the things that we've talked about today is so much of the content of Try Softer. And, and that sometimes I think for people will be like, wait, what? But the <laughs> idea behind Try Softer is really about compassionate attention. Yeah, It's learning to say, not what do the every, what does all the external things tell me to do? Not society and not culture and not my family system, not, but like, what is it that my body and my mm. spirit and my mind need to be whole. Wow. And that's how we learn to try softer. That's great. That's so great. Well, I love what you're doing. Uh, personally, I love it because, again, my wife now, she's a PA. She loves the medical side of things. I'm a pastor, mm -hmm. and so I love the spiritual side of things. And we felt like that our union has really brought in this interest of like, man, how do we incorporate these two things to mm -hmm. help people as they're healing through whatever they're going through? And so thank you for being a voice in this. Thank you for what you're Absolutely. doing. And thank yeah. you for spending time with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'm really grateful that you're having these conversations and it was an honor. Wow, what a great episode. Thank you, Andy. Mm -hmm. I feel like I took away so many good things, so many great notes. Yeah. I now feel even more convicted about going to do EMDR therapy. Yes, you need to. I think I have three pages of notes from her episode alone. Oh, it's man. so good. One of the things I loved that she said is when our uh, mental health or another definition of mental health, she said, is when our outsides match our insides. Yes. And I thought that was really good because I think sometimes we really can, you know, again, we can, we can we can put on these masks and these facades, but it's not doing anything for our healing on the inside. Mm -hmm. We kind of go about life and act like everything's fine, but mm -hmm. it's not doing anything for the healing. And that's certainly not to say that we react from our emotions mm -hmm. by any means. That's not what she was saying at all. Um, in fact, I think we, we need to, mental health is the ability to put space between what's going on on the inside and how you react on the outside, right. but to be aware of that, mm -hmm. of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And to make sure that you're not like just blanketing over that, numbing right. yourself to it. Right. Because then that's where what we talked about last week, like the coping, yep. where we start coping in unhealthy ways. Exactly. And why it is so important when our outsides and our insides match. Yeah. And we're at least aware of those yeah. and have healthy ways to deal with them. Yeah. So such great stuff. Um, and, you know, definitely I would suggest even going back and listen to this again. Yes. To take I some will. notes. If you're listening to it, some people I think listen to it while they're in the car. Yeah. I do. This is a note one. This is definitely one. Sit down on your yes. uh, on your couch or something like that. Take some notes. It's really, really good. We uh, we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thank you. You can download his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. So show Sleeping at Last some love. Go download his music. Mm -hmm. And next week, we have Casey Van Norman. Uh, this is going to be an amazing episode. She's going to be talking about her book, Nothing Wasted. So <laughs> like familiar. nothing is wasted. It's so we had fun good. fun with this one. Yes, it's so good. So let's uh, listen to a clip from her episode with Davey. For what it's worth, I meant it. I mean, I yeah. was 15 and I put that ring on my finger and I meant my promise to God, hey, I am going to keep myself pure and I mean it. And um, three months 
almost to the day after that conference, I was molested mm. and sexually um, abused by an older man. Mm. And so I, I, I truly want you to know when I say that I, I still feel, I mean, this mm. is the, the imprint that trauma does to your system. It right. stays with you. It stays, this is one of the whole reasons why we talk about what we do is right. nothing is wasted because it's still a part of your life. It is yeah. forever a part of your life. And that moment is still, if I, you know, pause for too long, I can remember, right. you know, um, the senses of, of that moment. But here was the big spiral for me and what changed everything was that that experience happened. It was traumatic. It was brutal. It was evil. Mm. Um, I was a victim in every sense of the word. And, but in that moment, throughout the rest of my high school years, what I would say is, God, I kept my promise, mm. but you did not keep yours. Mm. You, and that's what it felt wow. like. Yeah. And so now I'm just mad. Yeah. You know, I'm just mad. Right. I'm mad at, I'm not mad at the guy. I'm mad at God. 